Welcome to the Reno Storytellers Project, brought to you by the Reno Gazette Journal. This podcast features oral storytellers who strengthen empathy and connect our community through diverse first-person stories of Northern Nevada. In this story, Mickalee Byerman tells us how a brick changed her life and how she rebuilt her life one brick at a time. In fact, there's quite a few brick metaphors here, so I'll let Mickalee tell you all about it. This is episode 10, The Brick That Changed Everything. So I feel like you can tell a lot about a person based on their deepest, darkest fears. Um, Probably about everyone in this room is afraid of death by drowning, right? Big hairy spiders, creepy. Maybe clowns chasing after you with machetes, that kind of thing, right? Okay, these are common, all right? I think what you need to know about me pre-reinvention is what scared the living daylights out of me. These were, I mean, honestly, it made me breathless and terrified. And it can be summed up in three words. Pillsbury Crescent Rolls. (laughs) For those of you who know what I'm talking about, these terrifying terror tubes, you have to peel them to open them. And there's this little piece of paper and you peel slowly and slowly, and slowly, until finally, at some unpredictable moment, the whole tube explodes in your hands. It's like the adult version of a jack-in-the-box, right? So what made me the person who was terrified of crescent rolls? I think we have to look back at the fact that I was a child of the 70s. For those of you who are in the same boat, we were raised a lot on little 13-inch black-and-white grainy TVs watching really bad television. And I specifically recall some role models that I really aspired to be. First and foremost was Laura Ingalls Wilder (laughs) and her awesome hair. And I'm not talking, obviously, about the historic version. I'm talking about as portrayed by Melissa Gilbert, right? The second role model I can recall was Julie from The Love Boat. (laughs) She was perfect and perky and shiny and everything I wanted to be. And the amazing thing is that as an adult, looking back, I also look at my amazing family and see such adorableness there too. You know, I have these parents who have been married for 53 years and are sitting right there. My parents were selfless to an extreme. My mother was there every single day after school. She was the consummate, wonderful stay-at-home mom who sacrificed her life for me and always had the plate of piping hot, fresh-from-the-oven, homemade cookies for me while I did my homework. My dad, the hardest-working man you will ever know, the consummate, amazing breadwinner. These people combined with a little bit of a two-dimensional you know, perspective on life based on TV, basically made it so that I had no idea what conflict was. It was just sort of an idyllic upbringing. And I look back at that and think about the fact that I, I think that made me just a little bit gullible. I remember thinking, even when I was a teenager, that an artichoke was an animal because it had a heart. I remember parents joking with me, trying to test me because they were concerned about how gullible I was. And they literally convinced me 
that the curb feelers on the tires were so that blind people could drive down the road. <laughs> so what I lacked in street smarts, I think I made up for in just being a, a really hard worker. I had a 4.0 GPA, um, three A minuses, which actually made me number three in my class. Not that I'm bitter about that, but. Uh, <laughs> and I know this is alarming to everyone here, but at the age of 20, I met a man and he liked me despite my desire to be like Laura Ingalls Wilder. He was my best friend, and three years after we met, we got married. And it was a wedding ceremony very much like you would expect for anyone raised on General Hospital, okay? <laughs> Luke and Laura ring a bell, okay, there were puffy sleeves, there were more bridesmaids than I actually currently have girlfriends. And it was just this beautiful, dreamy event. And the marriage actually proved equally dreamy. We were, like I said, best friends. I had gone on to get a bachelor's degree, a master's degree. I had a great career. I had the perfect two children, the perfect 2.5 years apart. Everything was perfect. If I think back about that time, I literally was trying to be that perfect wife and mother. I was literally trying to be sort of the June Cleaver to my Ward Cleaver. But if I think back about it, I honestly think I can remember hearing the voice in the back of my head and it was really, really a pesky voice and it was kind of sassy and a little irreverent and it swore. <laughs> but I kept it quiet because what would Laura Ingalls do? She would not talk like that, right? So instead, I turned my attention to the nemesis, the Pillsbury Crescent Rolls. And I honestly, and I'm not even joking, remember being in the kitchen, sort of hiding in the corner while my husband dutifully unwrapped the Crescent Rolls because I couldn't do it. So what was so terrifying about the Crescent Rolls? I mean, I really have to think about that, right? It's the surprise. It's the not expecting it and not being prepared. It's the blind side. So 13 years into my relationship with my perfect ward cleaver, it's Christmas time, and I innocently happened upon an email. And this was an exchange between my husband and his old high school in Ashland, Oregon. And he was talking about a Christmas present that he was purchasing. They were doing a fundraiser at his old high school, and my husband said, yes, I'm buying it not going to be able to go up to see it until after the snows, so can you please send me a picture of it? And the nice man on the end of the email in Ashland said, of course, here it is. And I was nosy, and it was Christmas, and I thought it was for me, and so I clicked and opened up a picture. And the picture was of a brick, and you've seen these like in front of planetariums or Disneyland. They're cemented into the ground and they're engraved. So the message on this was his name on top, his high school girlfriend's name underneath, and the words always and forever. Always and forever. It was honestly at that moment, like, I, I mean, I could feel what it would feel like to have a million 
Pillsbury Crescent Roll cans explode all over my picture-perfect life. It was, you know, I was a writer, but at that time I couldn't see the beauty of the symbolism. And it took me three solid years of a lot of really good therapy and a lot of really good wine <laughs> to kind of come to grips with the whole thing. I mean, come on, a brick, okay? He put his love for her on a brick. All I had was the cardstock of a marriage certificate, really. And their love was in stone, okay? I mean, all of the sayings that you can think of that have anything to do with a brick. To be hit by a brick, to or hit by a thousand bricks, to hit your head against a brick wall, to be thick as a brick, to be dropped like a hot brick. All of these sayings had something to do with being blindsided or surprised or stupid. And that's how I felt. So at the request of my therapist, three years later, I decided to write about the brick. And I wrote my first, what would become my first blog post. And it was interesting because what I did was unleash that voice, the one that Laura Ingalls would not approve of. And I approached it in, I don't know, like a tongue-in-cheek manner, admitting and acknowledging the beauty of the symbol and celebrating who I was three years later. And that blog post led to a few other blog posts, led to a community of amazing people who mostly had been through devastating breakups reading my blog and starting to interact with me. And it was amazing to see this interaction. And then Time Magazine linked to my blog. And then Huffington Post republished one of my posts. And just eight months ago, I got a book deal. And what do I point to? I mean, it literally is about the brick, right? It kind of awakened me to something I didn't know existed. It helped me to open my eyes and open my heart and to start to actually be the person I think I always was, but just had kind of kept quiet and hidden from view. So I was blogging about bricks and blindsides and the fact that if you Google the words shit, divorce together, blog is on top, okay? <laughs> I mean, think of all the horrible divorces like Tiger Woods, right? My blog is on top of Tiger Woods, okay? <laughs> and I'm celebrating the fact that I have the number one shit divorce because who, has, I mean, who else has that, right? I have to admit that prior to the reinvention. I, I judged. I judged people who had been through divorces because there was nobody on TV who'd been divorced. I mean, think about eight is enough. Like, that dude, di his wife died in order for them to be that, right? So, I had no model, but, and I judged. I judged. I thought, you know, to be divorced, that means you've given up. But I realized that it takes two, and at the end, sometimes it's only one, and that's a very lonely place. I judged people who swore, which <laughs> you're laughing because you know. <laughs> um, I did, I did, because that wasn't proper and 
that's not something Laura would do. So, so yes, I embraced fully my 2.0 version. If by embraced fully, I mean sitting in the corner of my office, curled up in the fetal position every time I hit publish on a post because I was terrified of the onslaught of hate mail because I'm a mother and I'm dropping the F-bomb. I was so scared of that. But here's the thing, the onslaught of hate mail, it never happened. The hate mail didn't come. The only thing that came was the real voice and some success. And so honestly, I look back, and here I am almost a decade later, and that brick, I'm actually grateful. I'm not grateful for the brick itself, although it's a beautiful symbol, come on. <laughs> but I am grateful for the reinvention. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be who I always knew I probably was meant to be, just maybe had squashed that a little bit too much. And trust me, I see, I see the symbolism. I mean, I was literally, <laughs> I was literally, the, the literal brick hit me figuratively upside the head and knocked some sense into me. And that's how I look at it. So now I look back and again, all I feel is gratitude for the voice and I acknowledge I'm not perfect. I'm not, I acknowledge I'm definitely not Laura Ingalls Wilder and that's probably a good thing. I am nowhere near June Cleaver and that's okay too. And I think it just took that acknowledgement for me to understand that I didn't have to be the perfect wife and the perfect mom. And guess what? Pillsbury makes more than crescent rolls. <laughs> Do you know what else they make? They make cookie dough. So here's the thing, my kids, they've got the fresh baked cookies fresh from the oven, but I fucking buy that. This podcast was produced by the Reno Gazette Journal. I'm Mike Higdon. Thanks for listening to the Reno Storytellers Project.